I think it's something that's drilled into us as Asian Americans from day one, because we grow up in these honor shame cultures, right? It's like, can you imagine the conversation your mom or dad has when, you know, their friend is like, oh, my son is graduating from medical school at the age of 31. And then they're like, oh, Harry is getting coffee for people. We asked Harry to introduce himself. Sure. Uh, my name is Harry Yoon, and I work as a film and television editor in Los Angeles. And I've been doing that for a little over 20 years. Hi, this is Hannah from BTR. Christina and I had the pleasure of interviewing Harry. His introduction is modest and doesn't fully capture his story and experiences as a former product manager, director of product management, turned TV and film editor. Harry worked his way from the bottom after a career change to get to where he is now. He most recently edited the film Minari, directed by Lee Isaac Chung and starring Steven Yun, and is an editor on the upcoming Marvel movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings, slated to be released summer of 2021. Harry's story is inspiring, and he had us reflect on how we find our meaning in life. Thank you, Harry. And here he is to tell the story behind his resume. He starts by telling us a bit about the film Minari. Sure, it's a film that's very close to my heart because it centers on the story of a Korean-American immigrant family in the 1980s. The head of the family, Jacob, played by Stephen Young, moves his family from Los Angeles to a very rural place in Arkansas. Uh, and it's all about how does the family react to um, the changes that happen to them uh, during several seasons once they arrive there. We saw an interview where you mentioned you felt like you were meant to edit this film. Yeah, I, I think it's because seeing a family of Korean American immigrants growing up in the 80s and seeing the struggles of the parents, as well as the the kind of interest in journey and wonder of the kids, um, sort of it's a brother and sister siblings, really echo my own childhood, because uh, I grew up in the 80s too. The film is also in both Korean and English. Um, it's one that is produced by, you know, an independent film company, um, Plan B and A24, that whose work I love and admire. And so I just feel like I couldn't have asked for a project that resonated so personally with me and everything that motivates me artistically, as well as um, personally, a desire to tell stories about Asian Americans and their experiences. While watching the film, there were so many characters and character storylines. And we were wondering, was there a character that you felt specifically connected to or part of the story that really resonated with you? Mm, that's, that's a great question. Um, Cause I think everybody who watches this finds a different way into the film. And I think that's a testament to um, what Isaac wanted to do with this movie is usually these immigrant stories are centered on the second generation and it's about their experience navigating growing up in this environment. But Isaac really wanted a balanced viewpoint. And I think a lot of that came from the fact that he, his desire to write this story and to tell this story came from uh, seeing his daughter be the age that he was at 
you know, in, as David in this story. So David is kind of his proxy in one way and wanting to show her what was his childhood like when he was her age. But at the same time, he's, at, he's also having the experience of a father, being the father to his daughter and seeing the perspective really with his eyes open of what his dad must have gone through. And so I think that was the beginning of this desire to provide a kind of multifaceted portrayal of, of a family uh, from different viewpoints in a balanced way where you feel that much more deeply because you can identify with so many characters within it. I'd say for me, um, the character that really resonated for me was Stephen Young's character, particularly because my father and his fortunes as an entrepreneur, as a small business person, echo a lot of the rise and fall of what um, Jacob goes through and sort of be becoming the age now that, that he was as he was experiencing those rises and falls and grappling with my own securities about success or insecurities about success and failure uh, at this age and what does my life add up to and what's my legacy going to be. I think his journey really resonated with me. I felt a great deal of empathy and sympathy, even as I was watching the dailies, which is the footage as it comes in. And you mentioned like, you know, seeing your dad, you know, seeing his immigrant story and kind of reflecting on it because now you're his age. Maybe mm -hmm. you can tell us a little bit more about like your childhood and your upbringing and what brought you to this point. My parents moved from Seoul, Korea to the Bay Area in Northern California. So that's around the San Francisco Bay Area when I was five years old, about the age that David is in this film. And um, they moved um, as because they were sponsored by my mother's brother to come and, you know, make a go of it here uh, as small business people. And so I watched them operate uh, a number of different small businesses in the Bay Area, everything from uh, initially working at my uncle's 7-Eleven as uh, cashiers to uh, then saving up enough money through, you know, the Korean rotating credit societies, you know, the unofficial banks that I think a lot of us grew up with, saving that uh, for a down payment on a sandwich store in Oakland, and then going from a sandwich store to a grill, and then they operated a gift shop and a video store and like just business after business. And you know, there was some initial success, but there was also a lot of frustration and failure because, you know, as immigrants, you're equipped with a ton of hard work, but maybe not always the domain expertise or business savvy that you need to succeed, you know, to advertise, to market, you know, things like that. Uh, and so I saw that journey that they went through. Um, at the same time, my younger sister, Helen, and I we're kind of growing up in predominantly white suburban communities and navigating the cultural and um, you know educational challenges that that presents too. And so I think by the time I, I arrived in college, I was actually you know being very sensitive to this story and being fascinated by story. I was very open to um, actually becoming an English major when I was in college because the idea of stories and the idea of literature as a way of capturing human experience was something that really resonated with me. Uh, and I think taking my first Asian American literature and Asian American history classes, I realized, oh, wow, this isn't something where I can just identify with like a 19th century white British protagonist. I could also identify with a 20th century, you know, Japanese American in the internment camps or as a 
a Korean American uh, character who's you know dealing with politics in in uh, 1980s New York or something like that. So uh, it opened up this whole other idea of like uh, stories as a way of capturing our own specific experiences and how powerful that was. And so that planted in me in college this really strong desire to do that in some way. I didn't know exactly how that was going to manifest, but I knew that that was going to be very important for me. That's really cool to see how how that progressed in your life and how, you, how it manifested in what you do now. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did like did your parents have the resources from or did you have the resources from your family to pursue the path that you're on now? That's a great question. And so I was sort of a born performer and very extroverted in that way. And so I was attracted to theater, but I think the more theater I did, the more I realized like this is not a practical life, especially for an Asian American man. Um, what roles are out there? What role models exist? And so I was like, well, what could I do with this desire to perform and to tell stories and to and and that and 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 that's uh, when I started thinking like, oh, is is film an avenue in particular, not necessarily being in front of the camera, but being behind the camera. And so I started looking into it, but also the more I looked into that, I was like, you really financial stability doesn't really exist. And so how do I make a living? Tried my hand at a lot of stuff, interning and things like that, but I think. Even with all of that, uh, there's a great deal of ambivalence I had in my 20s. So I was halfway into a film career and halfway not. So I would do things like spend two years in Korea after graduating, like kind of working in the, you know, meeting people in the film industry, but also working in other industries while I was there. But with the express desire to relearn Korean so that I could write both bilingual scripts. Um, and I was only sort of half su successful in that. But then coming back and working in technology for a while, applying to and getting into the NYU graduate directing program in, in, in film in my late 20s. So it was just this kind of vacillation that I had that finally, you know, once I turned 30, I was like, what am I doing? Am I doing this or not? Harry tells us what the turning point was that made him commit to pursuing the career he is in now. And this kind of happened, this soul searching really coincided with 9-11. Um, and that's just an event, I think, that really shocked a lot of people into kind of maybe some, you know, watershed changes in their life. And I was like, life is short. It's so unpredictable. Crazy things can happen. And so, you know, what it, it sort of prompted me to, to go to talk to a, a therapist who specialized in careers uh, to have some good conversations with my parents about sort of what my, I was planning uh, and then to sell my condo to put it all into save what I had into savings and um, at the age of 31 to move down to Los Angeles and leave my career in technology. Uh, I was a product manager and then, you know, um, a, a director of product management and, and things like that to leave behind that salary and that stability and to start over as an intern and then a PA, um, you know, my initial jobs were doing things like you know, Costco runs and getting lunch for everybody. Uh, and thankfully, because I was Asian, no one could tell how old I actually was. And so nobody was like freaking out saying like, what are you doing here? You know, like, you know, so and I never told people how old I was. So they just assumed that I was in my 20s. So yeah, so that's an advantage that uh, 
uh, sometimes of being Asian American. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's how I restarted and um, pursued a career uh, specifically in editing. Cause that's one of the things I negotiated when I made that decision. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to be ambiguous about it. I'm going to be as specific and as directed and as goal oriented as, as I can be. Cause I want to honor the fact that this is such a risky thing for me to be doing as the first son of Korean American immigrants. And I was very, very fortunate that within like one or two years, I was able to start making a, a living wage to help pay for my room that I shared, you know, in a house with a couple of other friends. And then ultimately, once I joined the union, probably two to three years in, then was enough to get my own apartment. And, you know, little by little worked my way up the ladder from PA to its production assistant to um, uh, apprentice editor to second assistant editor to first assistant editor to VFX editing to, you know, finally uh, becoming an editor. So if you look at my history, it's, it's a kind of story of like working up that ladder step by step. We asked Harry how he coped with the uncertainty after giving up a successful and lucrative career in tech. And I wish I could have told you that I knew that it was going to work out. But that's why I went to see a therapist. I mean, like when you're especially when you have to leave behind the stability of what you know and is working and then to try something at which you know you're not great at right away. It's a really, really scary thing. And especially in it, if you have any sense of social awareness, which I think is something that's drilled into us as Asian Americans from day one, because we grow up in these honor shame cultures, right? It's like, can you imagine the conversation your mom or dad has when, you know, their friend is like, oh, my son is graduating from medical school at the age of 31. And then they're like, oh, Harry is getting coffee for people and you know trying to get the chicken lunch order right at the age of 31 like that is that is not something you want them to go through you know because it's just like what is he doing like I, I remember very distinctly like as I was waiting to go down there was like a couple of months in the summer where I had left my job but I still wanted to make some extra money so I was like oh I'm gonna I'll just work at a movie theater for a while so I can watch a bunch of movies. Like it sounded so practical. And literally day one, I was like standing there in the Embarcadero cinemas at the escalator taking tickets. And I was like, what if one of my college classmates sees me at the top of this escalator taking tickets? And not that there's, you know, anything wrong with that job, but like the way that I would have reacted, you know, in saying like, having to explain what I'm doing and all of that. Like that's, I mean, that's basically the kind of, you know, uh, the fear and the kind of insecurity that I felt uh, for a number of years until I had some sense that it was going to work out. I can imagine that part, like a big part of the reason that you were successful and you were able to get work is because of your particular, your approach to storytelling and mm you know, your unique way of looking at things. And we noticed that you worked on TV shows like The Newsroom. And could you tell us a bit about your approach to editing? And what do you think sets apart a, a good editor from a great editor? I think for me, it always begins with the script. My guide is in, does this story or does what the characters do in this story, does it ring true to me, to my experience and something that I can really invest in? Because it's such hard work. It requires so many hours and so much collaboration and 
heartache and, and difficulty and challenge to get to get across the finish line that you want to you want to invest in something that you truly believe in. And, um, you know, in order to work on Minari, like I had to take a 60 percent pay cut in order to um, to survive in order because the budget was so low, because this isn't necessarily a story that's immediately, you know, obviously marketable. Thank God that, you know, plan B and A24 had the foresight to take that risk. But I think in order to take risks, they can't have huge budgets. And so, but I knew that that experience of working on it was going to be worth it. And as far as like a good, good editor and a great editor, um, people think that because editors work in dark rooms by themselves, that um, we're, all introverts and we have terrible social skills, which I don't know, it's true, I think of some of us for sure. But I think one of the things that makes a great editor is actually ironically the opposite, is that you have to have very strong social skills. You have to be able to be a counselor, a therapist, an encourager, a drawer out of, of vulnerability in your collaborators, particularly the directors or the writers and producers that you work with, you have to be able to um, have the social awareness to understand politically what's going on in a room. You know, um, there's always a phase in the creation of a show in which, you know, the, pr the producers come in or the studio comes in and everybody has a strong opinion. How do you navigate that in a way where you're not alienating any of the parties you're encouraging a, a, an environment of creative collaboration and not one where anyone feels diminished or, or, or put aside. So I think, you know, I think the people who can cultivate that because of, um, you know, their life experiences or just through practice are ultimately the ones that get asked back because, and, and not only that, the, the more you can navigate difficult political, political situations, because I think the higher you go in terms of, you know, the ladder and the stakes and the budget, the politics increase exponentially as well. So the egos and the politics involved in Hollywood are very real, you know, and sometimes they're justified and sometimes they're not. How do you put people who are very powerful at ease? How do you make them feel like they can be vulnerable in front of you uh, and even make stupid suggestions, you know, bad suggestions uh, in a way that leads to good ideas ultimately and good results. And so I think uh, often uh, young editors focus on technique. They're like this cut or that cut or this cutting pattern or this rhythm or this way of using music or something like that. But technique is the baseline. I think being able to navigate social relationships as well as to be able to very clearly make your own opinion or make, make your perspective known, not just through the footage, but through the way you communicate either verbally or written or what you choose not to say or, or say uh, is, is I think the thing that really ultimately distinguishes you. I was going to say, I think that's super interesting because when I think of an editor, I think someone who just is really good at like putting the clips together, but it's interesting to hear that it's more than that. It's, you know, the social dynamics between the teams and how everyone who's working on the project. Um, yeah. And you have, you have to be both, right? Like you can't sort of just be like, you know, very political and then just not know what to do with a bunch of material, right? Like, I mean, there's, you're constantly solving problems, you know, sound problems, performance problems, uh, eyeline problems, uh, continuity problems, 
uh, boredom problems, like problems of time. Like there's all these problems that you're solving. So you have to know how to technically do that. But that, that kind of empathy, social awareness and life experience is super important too. And so you can't be this kind of hermit. You have to be this sponge of life experience to be able to make those choices in a way that crafts a performance that ultimately for an audience feels true. I wonder if it's also your product manager um, experience where you worked with so many personalities in a really super fast environment. So you're able to get use that actually in the editing room as well. Yeah, actually, that's a great point. And, and one thing that I'd love for all your listeners to trust is like, ideally, everything that you do is not a waste of time, even if it's a detour from where you where you are currently, because like, I feel like all of that time doing presentations for CEOs as a manager, corralling and, and, and getting feedback from uh, salespeople, you know, strategic people, strategic development people, um, having to communicate requirements to engineers, uh, having to um, uh, go on sales calls and things like that, like answering to a lot of different parties actually really helped me as the person who heads up the cutting room. So you know, especially on a feature film, the editor is, has to interface with visual effects people, sound people, composers, producers, directors, some of whom report to you, some of whom you report to. And so being able to navigate all of those different relationships make and having that awareness of like, okay, while the composer is working, the visual effects people have to be working as well as, you know, the sound people, you know, then we need to, you know, think give footage to the trailer people, you know, et cetera, like being able to handle those, that multivariable as well as simultaneous workflows is something that I know that I, I do better now because of my experience as a product manager. So, you know, I, I, I want to encourage people that like everything that you do, especially if you really pour yourself into it will come in handy. And the synthesis of what you represent is actually what makes you unique in the workplace. And, and, um, and differentiates you from from everybody that you're competing with. For people who don't know, I Plan B is run by Brad Pitt. Is that correct? Yeah, he owns the company and he started it. It's interesting because you mentioned that this is budget is sixty percent of um, normal ho usual Hollywood films, and we know there's a lack of Asian films in the industry. And the fact that he picked it up, do you think it's because there's a shift in the industry and with now trying to get more diverse stories out there? I think there is. Um, I think there is more of an appetite for, particularly for Asian American stories and Asian American creators. It's something that people are willing to, especially more established, because I think for a long time, Asian American film was its own universe. You know, Asian American filmmakers premiered at Asian American festivals, which encouraged Asian American filmmakers that worked within that festival world. And it was awesome because it was a great training ground for people who then sort of you know, some of whom went into the broader industry, which is awesome. People like Justin Lin, who started off, you know, with a, an indie film called Shopping for Fangs and then made Better Luck Tomorrow. And then, you know, was one of the main directors of the Fast and Furious franchise. And so, and he's actually a very established director. He began in the Asian American sort of festival circuit. But I think now, especially with, you know, successes like Crazy Rich Asians and, you know, actors like Aquafina and, and people like that, like, that they, people realize, oh, there's a real market for this. There is a group that is going to come out and support it. And I think that's been through very intentional and very concerted efforts by organizations like uh, Gold Open, uh, which is a, a 
consortium of, of groups that ensure that Asian American projects have like a really strong opening weekend. So I know that they were instrumental in, for example, in, we just opened this weekend um, and uh, A24 had what's called a virtual cinema, which was sort of like where you can buy a ticket and watch it within a particular window of time. And I know that people like, you know, Gold Open and Gold House were instrumental in making sure that every one of our screenings up to the 23rd, 25th is sold out. So that kind of voting for cultural change with your dollars has a real impact on the industry. And I think um, a positive response, not just from Asian Americans, but from a broader audience has gotten um, production companies and studios to be much more open to pitches because, because it's, it's borne out and the dollars and cents of it makes sense now in a way that it didn't before. Yeah, no, I watched, I watched the screening through the uh, A21 virtual screening room. I, I saw that it was all sold out and I thought it was like super awesome. But, you know, as I was watching it, I was like, I, and I consider myself, you know, Asian American, but also, you know, there's this American part of me where I, I can relate to that being an American film and it's, Oh my gosh. You know, it's, you know, it's a slice of, of a particular group's um, experience of an American experience, but it's an American movie. No, what's, you know? the, what's more American than, <laughs> yeah. than having an American dream right. starting a farm in the middle of Arkansas, you know, in the middle yeah. in the heart of the South. I mean, that's an American story. Yeah. I think I, it's been, I, I really appreciate that that conversation came up through the Golden Globes. Cause I think what's great is that the controversy encourage people to even know our film and encourage people to ask that question, which is a question that I think Asian Americans have been kind of grappling with from the beginning of our history here is, you know, are we foreigners or are we Americans, you know? And I think I love that that question came up. So I think it's a blessing in disguise uh, is that people started to talk about the film and, and, and that the, I think the emphasis was that, yeah, it is an American film. It was, from by an American filmmaker, uh, produced by very American companies, you know, set in America, and even the themes are very American. And so I loved that the end result of that was that emphasis. Um, cool. And I wanted to ask, are, are there any TV shows or movies that you've watched and thought, I wish I could have edited that? Um, and what would you have done differently and why? Oh, um, well, it's, it's, it's funny because like if, if it's something that I admire, I don't know if I would have done it differently. You know, like, you know, like um, I, I remember very much um, watching films, particularly by my mentors. Um, one of my early mentors was Stephen Mirioni, and he's an Oscar winning filmmaker who cut uh, Traffic and Go and 21 Grams. And yeah, I remember watching films like films like that. Um, and just admiring how he takes complex stories with multiple characters and yet each moment feels essential. Early on, I got to visit his cutting room and I saw the work that he put in. Like he would, he would craft a scene and I was just quietly watching for about 15, 20 minutes. And I'd be like, wow, that's a really great scene. And then he'd take it apart and craft it from a different angle or feature a different character or begin with a different shot that evolved into something else. And I'd be like, why are you taking that apart? Like you're done, like it's good. But I realized that that's the work ethic that it takes to make something great is to not be satisfied with good. And I saw that in later mentors as well. 
I, I know that that's the that's what makes the difference, and I've tried to emulate that as much as possible, particularly in the projects that are very very close to me. And I think that I can honestly say, having worked really hard with with Isaac on this cut, and really sort of personally wanted it to be as good as it can be, that that there's no stone that I think we left unturned on this film, and it's so wonderful that that people are responding it to the way that they it, in the way that they are. Um, you also had a mentoring program on top of the editing that you do, so called Side Time. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that um, was a result of the, a lot of the downtime that we had after all the studios shut down during the pandemic was a good friend of mine, Robert Chang, who's a serial entrepreneur in the mobile application space, among many other places. Um, he sort of, uh, he and I thought it was a good time to kind of continue on something that we'd been developing for a while uh, and so and since he's been kind of shepherding the development of this company as well as this technology um, what it's geared toward um, is to provide real-time advice uh, for people that are starting off in their careers uh, from people that are well established in their careers um, and we connect them through a phone call what's nice is that you don't have neither party needs to share their phone number and you use the app to find and then schedule time with a potential mentor so for example my job in side time film which is one of its domains because there's other domains like music and food for example um, it was to recruit a number of different experts in a variety of film disciplines so editing like my discipline directors producers location managers, uh, hair and makeup people, you name it, like uh, who were well established in their fields to make their profiles available for up and coming filmmakers to find them and then schedule calls with them. Another way was uh, is through like um, uh, the organization American Cinema Editors or ACE, which is an honorary editing society. We have a really well established uh, diversity and editing committee. And every year we have like 40 PAs and assistant editors and young editors that kind of come through from underrepresented communities and um, editors within ACE walk with them through the course of a year, your program to help them get closer to some of their short-term goals uh, in their careers. So things like that, I think um, is just uh, participating in this kind of like virtuous cycle of mentorship and advice giving that I was a huge beneficiary of um, as I came into the industry. Super cool that you're uh, setting that up. If you could give advice to uh, your younger Harry Yoon self, uh, <laughs> knowing all that you know now, what what would you say and, and why? I think the one piece of advice that I would definitely give a younger Harry Yoon is because you're entering a career in which there's a great deal of uncertainty and there aren't the traditional milestones or the traditional kind of like markers that say hey i'm making progress in this in the way that you might in a more established professional career because i think like you know like especially if you choose medicine like you kind of know what you're supposed to be doing at each step like you're in med school or you're an intern or you're a fellow or you're a resident or you know that type of thing like your path is planned out and then you kind of know where you're headed I think in an artistic career in particular, you never know what next year will bring, whether it brings more success or more waiting, you know? And I think 
the advice that I would say is that that's part of the discipline. That's part of the skill set that you have to develop is to be able to withstand that uncertainty, both financially, emotionally, spiritually, you know, mental health wise, develop that, that, that healthy attitude toward uncertainty. And I think the cornerstone of that is finding your identity in something other than your job title, something other than, you know, your perceived achievement. Uh, however, which way you can do that, whether it's centered on a loving relationship that you have with a partner in your life or with, you know, an identity that you have as a, as a son or a daughter, or, you know, maybe even as a parent, you know, or, or you know, for me, you know, that identity comes from, you know, uh, an identification in my faith tradition, which is Christianity, like my identity as um, a son in that tradition is, is a very powerful centering foundational uh, aspect of how I see myself. And that I think helps me weather both the good and the bad. So for example, like, you know, I'm going through now with Minari, like this crazy kind of awards campaign, you know, like is Minari going to be nominated? And like, I need something to kind of inoculate me from the headiness of all of that is to say like, that doesn't define me or my perception of myself, whether it's for good or bad, whether it's the height of like, you know, of excitement or the depths of disappointment. And I think that that's a very, very important thing for, um, for uh, continuity and to be able to sort of not only last, but to flourish in, uh, in an uncertain industry. And that advice applies to, I think, many industries and especially as Korean Americans or you know, people from diverse backgrounds, you, you're, a lot of times your job is tied to who you are because it defines how successful you are. So absolutely, it's really important to keep that in mind. And I guess it comes to our last question, which is what is your definition of success? I think for me, success is finding a thing, whether it's your career or a calling or a vocation, that you can flourish within. And ideally that your flourishing helps others. Because I, I, I think my personal experience is that when I've focused exclusively on my own well-being or my own success, that it's been pretty isolating and not ultimately satisfying. But I think when uh, you can be outward focused so that when you succeed, when you flourish, when you do well, that others benefit, that is lasting and I think deeply satisfying in a way that um, I think is very good.